Good morning. We're talking about beliefs that drive Christians crazy. Uh, and in so doing, we're following a book, and we're not parroting the book, but using that as a springboard to talk about beliefs that seem to be Christian but aren't. And this morning, we'll look at shoulds are good. Shoulds are good. The word should expresses obligation, compulsion, and duty. Uh, shoulds are pushy and insistent. What shoulds do is they get somebody back in line. So you should be doing this, and I push you back in the line. You should be doing that. It's assumed that the thing that I am shoulding you to do is something you should already be doing, and that's why I'm shoulding you, pushy and insistent. Uh, shoulds are natural, and as we'll see, they are not supernatural, but shoulds are natural. Uh, we should fix dinner for our family. We should get to work on time. We should stop overeating. Shoulds are a natural part of horizontal influence. We can't really get along without them. The problem becomes when we use vertically that which has a place horizontally. Shoulds are natural on the horizontal sphere. The problem is when shoulds invade our spiritual lives. That's the problem. Uh, we should set aside time for Bible study, serve on that board, love our next-door neighbor who gossips. The problem is when we put shoulds in God's mouth. That's the problem. That's the problem. When we put shoulds in God's mouth. See, motivation is everything to God, and it's not about what we do with him. It's about why we do it. Paul learned this lesson directly from Jesus. Look at, take your worship folder, and in it there's a sheet. Uh, Paul describes an event in his life where he, he met Jesus face to face in Acts chapter 26. Paul is speaking to a king, just giving a sense for how he got to where he ended up. And, and this is what he said, I went from one synagogue to another to have them being Christians punished, many mostly Jewish Christians. Um, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul believed that he was on a mission from God. He said, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Some of the other Pharisees might have been hesitant to carry out this vendetta. Paul was obsessed with going after Jewish Christians, getting them back in line, shooting them back in line. He believed he was on a mission from God. As it turned out, though, he was on a mission from God. Not a mission from God, a mission from God. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus, he writes, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. 
we all fell to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, and this is Jesus speaking directly to him. He couldn't see anything. He had been knocked off his animal onto his keister. And he heard this voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is a question. And then a statement. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad is a prod. It's a means whereby you control animals. It's a sharpened stick or something with a metal point. And what you do, you follow animals. And when you want them to go in the direction they should go, a goad is a very convenient way to get them to move in that direction. You take this sharpened stick and you poke them in their keister. And they move in the direction that you goad them to move in. A goad is a way to force an animal to go in the direction that you want them to go, the direction that they should go. Now, what Jesus says to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I want you to imagine that somebody is goading me. That would not feel good to be poked and prodded. To kick against the goads would be to do something like this. Somebody's goading me, and, I, and I'm doing like this. You know, so I'm kicking against them because I don't appreciate the feeling. I don't like being goaded, don't like being prodded. To kick against the goads, then, is to resist someone's influence, to resist the shoulds, to resist the shoulds, to resist going in the direction that the one is goading you to walk in. Most of the time when this passage is interpreted, God is the one doing the goading. Most of the time. And what Jesus is indicating, that God has been goading Paul. You know, Jesus is really God. Poke, poke, poke. And, and Paul is going, no, he isn't. No, yes, he is. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. And it's hard for you to kick against the goes, and it's kind of God wearing Paul down, getting him to embrace the fact that Jesus is really God, really God, and, and that Paul has been kicking against God's goads. This appeals to us in a way. We like to think of God as a gentleman, that he doesn't impose his will on human free will. That might be nice, but it doesn't fix the picture. It doesn't fit the picture. Uh, again, what Paul says, uh, when Jesus appeared to him, <clears throat> Paul didn't have a conference. He goes, okay, guys, could you look at that light up there? And what should we do about that? Anybody, anybody want to fall to the ground? Let's have a vote. Who wants to fall to the ground? Let's have a vote. How many of us want to resist this? And we're just not going to allow ourselves to be goaded. That's not the way it worked. When they saw the light, bam, the next thing we know is that they were licking dust. When God appears and when God shows his glory, it's not a prodding. It is a powerful influence that cannot be resisted. When God exerts influence, Paul is unable to resist. I don't think that's the goading is not God. And so what Jesus is not indicating is it's hard for you to kick against the goads. We've been trying our best to get you to believe that I'm God, but you've successfully resisted us. And that's not what he's saying. Um, goads were symbols of Jewish resistance. So there were times in Israel's history where they were dominated by foreign powers. And that foreign power took away their weapons. 
So if they wanted to mount a resistance, they didn't have swords and they didn't have spears. What did they have? Goads. Gold makes a decent weapon when you sharpen the end of it. So what they would do, they would go to have their goads pointed. And this goad became a symbol of Jewish resistance, a way to throw off the oppressor. And the oppressor at the time Paul is writing was Rome. Jew, Israel was under the dominion of Rome and the goads were a symbol of Jewish resistance against Roman dominion. So what a goad represented is, let's get Rome off our back. And they didn't just suggest that to Paul nicely. Now, what you've got to remember about Paul is that he is a Jewish political official, but he's also a Roman. Now, that puts him in a very interesting place, doesn't it? Because Israel was trying to overthrow Rome. Now, if you were just a Jew, that was fine. But what about Paul? He's a Jewish politician, but he's also a Roman citizen. Do you see the conflict of interest? See what's happening there? So the Pharisees are prodding him. Rome is imposing on our religious freedom. God demands that you take up our cause. And Paul was a Roman citizen, so he had a difficult time. Well, he was goaded from both sides. Being pulled in half took a toll on Paul. What do you do with the tension? That you want to comply with Jewish influence, and you want to comply with Roman influence. He came up with something. Hmm. Israel hates Christians. So does Rome. There it is. It became a way that he could curry favor with the Pharisees and with the Romans. I'll go after Christians. And he went after Christians with a vengeance. Not just in Israel. Damascus, any place where Jews were hiding out as Christians, he went and he put them in prison. When they determined, should we kill them, Paul raised his hand. Absolutely, and he had the blood of many Christians on his hands. Um, one way of finding relief from being goaded is to get mad. Blame somebody. Use blame to bury shame. Paul dissipates his internal tension by aggression. He finds an enemy. And if you feel kind of insecure about who you are, it's always helpful to find an enemy. Then you can focus on them. And you don't have to focus on the tension that exists within us. You understand that? You can get them. And if they are the enemy, what are we? We are the oppressed. And that's one way that you can... Uh, deal with internal tension. Uh, Paul struggled at some level, I think, with whether the Pharisees that were around him, whether they spoke for God. And at some level, he wondered whether God was on their side or whether God was not on their side. And he didn't know what to do with it. That's why he had to find a way to resolve the tension. And it was driving him crazy. In my obsession, obsession really means he was losing his mind. He was a lunatic. He was obsessed 
because it was a way to decrease. He was being torn apart inside by conflicting. His encounter with Jesus showed him that the officials were not speaking for God. You know who they were speaking for? They were speaking for gold. God, the voice of God, and the voice of gold are not the same voice. They're not the same. The Pharisees were trying to get him to believe that they were. Jesus, what Paul understands, is not goading Paul. He says, why are you persecuting me? Ask him a question. Then gave him the answer. Here's the answer, by the way. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. The reason you're persecuting me, Paul, is this is a way to try to make peace within yourself, but at some level you might think that God is goading you into being part of the political resistance, but look it. Look, Ma, no goads. Jesus wasn't goading. You know why? Because God doesn't goad. God doesn't goad. He doesn't need to. God doesn't prod you, subtly trying to get you to steer in him. Then he feels really bad when you don't go in that way. You know, Some of you, you haven't been meeting with him in the morning and having your quiet times, and God is waiting, and he feels really sad. That you're not spending time with him. He feels really sad that you're not praying to him. He's all alone. And he tries to goad you by making you feel guilty. Um, that's beneath God. Again, it's a way you can get somebody moving to goad them. But God doesn't goad. He doesn't need to. That's powerful and very, very secure. Now, spend time with him. Spend time with him and read his word and talk with him, not because he needs you to, but because we need to. God is not insecure. He'll be fine. In fact, he'll be fine if you don't obey him. He's not going to go away and cry and feel sad. You don't think I'm God. That makes me sad. <laughs> Jesus makes me really sad when they don't worship me. No, it's like Jesus, Jesus, you know what, what Jesus understood? Jesus, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. That could be born of Jesus' sovereignty or his sympathy. You know what I think it was born of? Sympathy. You think Jesus knew what it was like to be goaded? You think Jesus knew what it was like to be prodded? And when he says to Paul, it's hard to kick against goads, isn't it? I think that there's sympathy there. I think there's understanding. What I've learned is at some point, Jesus' sympathy is critical for anyone who would have a deep relationship with God. Jesus understands what things feel like. You say, what does Jesus understand? He was perfect. Here's what he understands. He understands what it feels like to be shooted and to be goaded. He understands how you feel when you're shooted and you're goaded, where your pathway to God is all based in guilt and shame and you feel, Jesus understands that. It's hard to kick against goads. It's based in his sympathy. Goading is powerful. You know what? Why goading is so powerful? Because we cannot not want to be included. The person who is goading on the far side of complying with the goads is what? Inclusion. Go in this direction and you'll be one of us. If you oppose them, you'll be one of us. And on the far side of non-compliance is 
exclusion. That's why goading is powerful. We all want to be part. We want to be included. It's hard for us to be outies. We all desperately want to be innies. And it's difficult for us. Um, Shoulds are powerful because inclusion is on the far side of compliance. And it's a very powerful thing when we imagine that God is doing the goading. Um, Let's talk about supernatural influence. Shoulds aren't supernatural, at least not any longer. They used to be supernatural. I want you to listen to me now. Shoulds are no longer supernatural. But at one point, they were, they used to be supernatural. Um, uh, The Old Covenant is found upon shoulds. There were Ten Commandments and a number of things that you, that you do. And when you do these shoulds, you get blessed. And when you don't do these shoulds, you get cursed. And when you do them, you are included. When you don't do them, you are excluded. When you do them, you are in any. When you don't do them, you are in. That's right. Shoulds used to be supernatural. He um, said, no, yeah, they were. Um, the Old Covenant is founded upon shoulds. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses writes, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Recite them. Keep bringing them up. Day after day. And again, how often should we do this? Okay, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's probably just about all the time, isn't it? You know, you're sitting down, rising up, at home, on the road, here to there, there to here. How often should you, should, should, how often should you talk to your parents, talk to your kids about shoulds? All the time. Tie them, on the, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And they literally did that. They had these phylacteries, which are places with the commandments, and so people were walking around with boxes on their heads because they wanted to take this literally. And they, it's because you always needed to be reminded of the shoulds. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Failure to keep your kids in line, by the way, was no small thing. Because if you failed with keeping your kids in line, you not only threatened your family, but you threatened the community as well. Aiken was a guy who, when they were defeating a city, he just, nobody will miss this. So he took this article. Nobody was supposed to take anything, but he just kind of went, well, look at that army over there. And he stuck it in his pocket. Okay. And then what ended up happening? The Israelites went into war, and they got the butt kicked. And then it was determined that somebody took one of the things, and it was determined that he took one of the things. And in those days, when you didn't do a good job of impressing the shoulds, you not only put your family in jeopardy, you put the entire community in jeopardy. Therefore, you weren't the only one making sure that your kids were being shoulded. Your neighbors were looking. 
Because if you're not successful with your kids, you might put them in jeopardy. Can you imagine the weight of this? Really? Can you, can you think? It was very, very heavy. Um, shoulds died when Jesus did. It, when Jesus comes, we go from an old covenant to a new covenant. And this is what it says in Galatians, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and, is, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If you could be shoulded into being righteous, Jesus didn't need to die for you. I'm going to say that again. If shoulds worked, Jesus would not have died for you. The fact is, you can't should love. And you can't change a heart by shoulding. Some of you really need to hear that. Because you imagine that God's behind the shoulds, and he isn't. Shoulds died when Jesus did. It went from an old covenant to a new covenant at that point. Shoulds died when Jesus did. Does God still want you to obey? Here's the critical question. What's the question I'm going to ask? Why? Because I'm afraid not to. I'm afraid that if I don't obey, I'll be an Audi. And if I do obey, I'm going to be an any. It's not it. You know what God does? He extends. Well, there still are things. Let's let this be the commandments. In the Old Testament, there were commandments and there were consequences. Do this or this is going to happen. Do this or else. What happens when you take away the consequences? What happens when you just have this? And you know what's in the other hand? Here's, there, there are some things that he wants you to do. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But with the other hand, he doesn't hand out consequences. He hands out no condemnation. No condemnation. Hmm. You know what ends up happening? You end up doing this for a different reason than if shoulds were in place. Does that make sense? It, for him, it's all about why you do what you do. Not what you're doing. Um, That's what it means when it says, I died with Christ. Dying with Christ doesn't mean that my God doesn't no longer live. I do live. I don't live under law. And I don't have to be afraid that God is poking me, shooting me into doing. In fact, he doesn't go. Jesus replaced forceful influence with gentle influence. I'm going to say this, goading no longer represents supernatural influence. No. We have to have a different word now. Forceful is out with respect to supernatural influence. Gentle is in. Look what he says. He says, I'm going to get to that verse in a second. Let me me hit another one. Um, Look what it says in John 10. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It talks about how God encourages obedience. And what he does, he puts voice recognition in place. Okay, now there's a couple different ways you can direct a sheep. You can use a goad, and that's pretty convenient. You don't have to teach the sheep anything. All you have to do is poke it in the flank. Now, if you're a shepherd and you're not going to rely on goading, you can rely on something else, but it is very, very difficult to do. And only a very capable, competent shepherd would replace goading with guiding, voice recognition. Here's what shepherds did. They, now get this, they developed a personal awareness of each sheep. They caused the sheep to understand the voice of the shepherd. And what ended up happening, that voice recognition was incredibly powerful. In fact, what I hear is that you could have three different groups of sheep in a watering hole. And there are three different shepherds who are sitting there and they're passing the time of day. And, and it's time for one of this group of sheep to be able to leave and the shepherd didn't get out the goat and give a couple goats to his friends and okay mine are all the speckly ones so let's go and get them all together he did get this get this no joke come just his sheep would come just his sheep and you know why because he had gone through the hard work of voice recognition he had built that into their awareness that they would <laughs> associate his voice with safety and security. That's a voice that I want to obey. Voice recognition. Built that in. That's how God influences. That's how God influences voice recognition. Do you know his voice? Do you know his voice? Let me tell you what it isn't. Do this or else. That's not his voice. That's the voice of God. It is not the voice of God. Voice recognition is not prodding. It's not goading. In fact, you know what it isn't? It's not goading. It's guiding. When we use fear, obligation, and guilt to hurry people up and move them along, we're on a mission from God. God relies on three things. Fear, obligation, guilt. F. O-G. Goading relies on fog. Fog. Fear. Obligation. Guilt. What kind of Christian are you? You won't even do this. You should start doing that. Fog. It's easy to get somebody to move along, isn't it, when you go them? Do you know what the thing you can't do? You can't change their motives. And you can't change their heart. And that's what God looks at. Um, Jesus changed the nature of spiritual influence eternally. Here's the verse that I was going to read before. Let's read it now. Matthew 11. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. By the way, forceful men forcefully advancing, somebody using force, what are you going to see in their hand? A goad. What he's saying, up until now, 
goading has been the nature of spiritual influence. Now, Jesus is going to change here. He's going to talk about it. The nature of spiritual influence. Now, you see what he says. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who were weary and burdened, and I will stick you in the keister. Well, you know, that's where, that's, that's my, uh, maybe I'm not quite reading that right. Uh, huh. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll make you afraid. I'll make you feel obligated. I'll put guilt on you. I'll fog you into following me. Not anymore. Shoulds used to be supernatural. Shoulds died at the cross. Shoulds died with Jesus. Now this is what he says. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, I can't say this, can I? Forceful is out. Here's the word. Gentle. When you're gentle, you don't go. And humble and hot, you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Prior to Jesus, those who spoke for God were forceful. After Jesus, those who speak for God are gentle. Um, what that means is those who speak for God forcefully misrepresent him. What is God's voice like? Gentle. It's hard to believe, but it's true. How do we know? Jesus is God. And he's the one that lets us know what God is like. All other versions of God fade because Jesus is the digital version of God. It replaces all the analog versions that came before. Again, it might have been supernatural, but it wasn't a true, deep reflection. No one reflected the character of God like Jesus did. What's God like? He's what Jesus was like. That's what the Father is like. Um, it's appropriate to feel uncomfortable when we're treated harshly in a spiritual setting. Some of you grew up in very harsh places, and you feel guilty because you did so. Do you know what it might be? At some level inside of you, the reason why you left or stopped going, because you knew his voice and you know that wasn't it. It wasn't that you weren't listening to God. You were. And you know, this isn't it. This can't be it. At some point, I know this isn't it. My sheep, they know my voice. The end doesn't justify the means. God deals with us gently. Those who speak on God's behalf do so gently. They provide guidance, not judgment. You can't, should love. We end with a very simple question. How do we distinguish the voice of God from the voice of God? 
How do you distinguish the voice of God from the voice of God? Two things. We goad when we use fog to get people to obey God. Do you remember what fog is? F O G Fear. We goad when we use fear, obligation, and guilt to get people to obey God or to get ourselves to obey God. Um, we can turn that to ourselves, can't we? Okay, can't we? If some of us, some of us don't goad outside, we goad inside. Um, it's, it's not either way. Outside or inside, it's both not him. So if you're going to address yourself, address yourself as God would, gently. I wonder why I do that. We need to get better at observing ourselves rather than throwing penalty flags. Why do I do that? Why do I stiff arm people? Not it's bad, I've got to stop. Why do I do it? You know what happens when you go to a doctor? You go to a doctor, you won't do this? Well, here's my symptoms. I, I'm breaking out in hives. I got a rash. I got a fever. I feel heart palpitations. Let me see what else is there. My feet itch. And thank you very much. Well, that's dumb because once you say your symptoms to a doctor, what will you do? You'll wait and listen. You ever done that with him? Rather than just rattling off a confession, God, I don't get it. It's like I have no patience. What's wrong with me? Every time somebody says something, I bite their head off. I don't understand what's going on. You know what Jesus would tell you sometime about why you're so reactive? Why you treat people so harshly? Why we're so hateful? It's hard for you to kick against goads. You think I'm goading you, and that's because insistence breeds what? Resistance. Insistence breeds resistance. That's why it doesn't work. That's why it doesn't work. Goad is forceful. You know what fog? Remember what that is? Fog obscures the face of God. Fog obscures the face of God because that's not him. Not him. Uh, goading is forceful. God is gentle. Do you know what God says? God says when there's an issue inside, don't just sit there, do something. That's what God is pushy and insistent and forceful. It says, keep, get going. Oh, you think it's going to be better in five years? With this anger problem you have, multiply this times five and ten. And what are you going to be like in 10 years, 15 years, 20? Get going. Move. Hurry up. Move. Get going. God is very, and you know, God says, don't just sit there, do something. You know what God says? Don't just do something. Sit there. Talk to me. You know what ends up happening? You end up finding what's at the root of the problem sometimes. God is forceful. It when you rush at yourself to get yourself moving, when you rush at others to get them moving, when you do so in God's name, when you claim divine authorization to get people moving, that's not the voice of God. It's the voice of God. That's how we distinguish one from the other. 
When it comes to spiritual influence, Devin, come on up. We're going to sing a song. Um, the end doesn't justify the means. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason doesn't cut it because ultimately God's about motivation. And therefore, just because something can get you moving doesn't mean that it's good. Learn to recognize the voice of God and understand the voice of God is not the voice of God. God is gentle and goading is forceful. Let me pray for us. Father, you clarify not only the message, but the manner in which you speak it. Both are important. We can't get one without the other. We need to understand the message, but we also need to understand the manner in which the message is proclaimed. It's a gentle message with a harsh voice is like new wine and old skins. It, it doesn't work. It ends up wrecking both. I ask that we would understand not only what you say, but how you say it. You speak a message of truth and you speak it gently. And those who know your voice will respond. Would you help us be those who more and more recognize that? It's not all or nothing. And it's many of us have been raised in places where that's not what we associated your voice with. You understand that. You understand how hard it is to kick against goats. And would you help us to both to continue to, to zero in what your voice is like and to understand its gentleness so that it would breed deep responsiveness in us. A little bit more and more, not all of a sudden, but more and more and more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.